Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Ed Choice Chats, and particularly the Cool Schools podcast. On today's episode, we are talking to Kevin Festerling, who is the founder of Kingdom Prep Lutheran High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This is an interesting school because in addition to being a cool school, it's a relatively new school. It just started in the fall of 2018. It's an all-boys high school that, according to its website, is committed to faith, service, experience, and excellence, and opened its doors in fall to its first group of ninth graders. We have a really interesting conversation in store for you, not just talking about what it's like to start up a new school, but the really interesting vision that Kevin and his team have for that school to really think about fully forming young people, and particularly young people that don't share the faith tradition of the school. So we have a really interesting conversation about how they think through that, how they've organized the school, the challenges they face, the lessons that they've already learned, a lot to dig into. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kevin Festerling of Milwaukee, Wisconsin's Kingdom Prep Lutheran High School. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. I wonder if we could maybe get started at the very beginning. As the song goes, it is a very good place to start. So how did uh, Kingdom Prep get started? Yeah, so Kingdom Prep was started when an area Lutheran High School was receiving about 50% voucher students, 50% tuition-paying students, and it was located in right on the edge of Milwaukee. Uh, when that school became a hot commodity for the voucher elementary schools who were feeding into it, when those voucher elementary schools drew at upwards from 50 to now about 100% voucher choice students, all of a sudden the families were asking, What's our next step? We went to a Lutheran elementary school. Traditionally, non-Lutheran families were largely getting turned away uh, in the hundreds from the application process due to the, the cap that these high schools were, were set at. And so we saw that and saw it as a supply-demand issue. And as the church essentially said, we need to open up another high school. Um, and we're seems like the parents are appreciating this, this Lutheran heritage thing. And maybe it's just a good school. Maybe it's the Lutheran part. So let's open another one. And so we, we began as an all-boys ninth grade academy just this year in the fall, and uh, that's how it got its start. Well, that's great. So what, what makes Kingdom Prep unique? Sure. So currently, Kingdom Prep would be the, I think, the only Lutheran boys, all-boys high school in the country, which is unique for us. In, in Milwaukee, there's also Marquette, which is, you know, 1853. It started with about 15 young men. And so that's now a very uh, high-performing magnet school. But Kingdom Prep is, is unique for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's, it's just ninth-grade boys. It's a Lutheran school with about 95% non-Lutheran students. It's nearly 100% voucher choice school. And I could, I could go on and say a few things about the unique side of what we're doing. We are a, a school that is trying to become a, a different ceiling. So in my historic days of education. It was college prep, college prep, college prep. Let's find the communities where we're typically underperforming and let's bring college prep into those communities. started noticing that some of the, the traditions and the rites of passage that some of our, our age-old Lutheran Christian schools uh, were kind of they're going away and we were replacing a lot of the, the acts of, of maybe formation, uh, faith, of service, and of uh, brotherhood in Christ. We decided some of those things should, shouldn't just be pushed aside so that we can become college prep, which was happening inadvertently because we were doubling down on our reading and doubling down on our math and doubling down on all of our academic areas. 
and things got pushed aside where sometimes these extracurricular, what seemed to be uh, faith pieces. And so we decided just to go take a mad sprint right back to some of these age-old faith formation topics. And we start off with small group Bible study in the morning. We do chapel service after that with the young men. And we just do all kinds of rites and passages that would help the young men recognize that they're just incredibly gifted, lots of talent, and, um, you know, lots of skills to be put in place right now. So talk to me, there's so much to unpack there, which is wonderful. So talk to me about operating a Lutheran school with an overwhelmingly non-Lutheran population. Yeah, absolutely. So we try to mimic a lot of the things that we've learned from a school called St. Benedict's, which is in, in Newark, New Jersey. Are you familiar with St. Benedict's? I'm not, actually. So St. Benedict's has about 600 young men from the city of Newark. And Newark, you know, this was originally, it was the, it's the abbey for the, the archdiocese there in Newark. And, you know, since the 1800s, that school was just a magnet for families who had had means, a very high-paying tuition type of Catholic, in fact, Benedictine. And during the race riots of Newark in the later 60s, they found themselves essentially dissolved, where white families had left, and the monks who ran that school had really looked at each other and said, well, who do we serve now? What do we do? And they shut down for a year, and most of the monks left except for a couple. And one of those guys is a pretty prominent leader now there. He's, he's probably nearing his, his career soon um, <clears throat> because he's just been there for so long. I think he, he'd laugh. Uh, if I mentioned his age, I think he's getting up there. He, he would say that at that year they started again. They were going to rename themselves. And one of the guys from the community, they had a, I guess you would call it a neighborhood get-together. And he started rethinking, who should we be? What should we stay as? You know, we're still at school. And one of the family members said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. Now that we're all here, by we're all here, meaning a demographic that now largely is not the same. It was African-American at that time, some Hispanic. Are we not good enough for St. Benedict's anymore? And so they then said, you're right. They reopened the St. Benedict's. And the, the story is fun to watch, how they're now one of the highest performing high schools in the country sure. And so we've largely, you know, taken a lot of their their playbook and brought it here to Milwaukee. And so similar to them, our job isn't to create Lutherans. Our job is to be Lutheran. Our job is to present God's love. Our job is to be a, um, a group of teachers and leaders here who will just present the love of Christ and build brotherhood with young men and walk alongside these guys during what we would think is some of the most critical years of their life. And so, you know, if they ever find an onboard into the Lutheran faith, great. But more importantly is that we can all huddle around scriptures and say, like, if you're okay with this book as being our source and our direction, let's go, you know, and let's not hold back. So we don't find any obstacles in the way of that at this point. I don't think we will. I think, in fact, it, it helps us when we bring people who are Baptist, non-denominational. There's a couple of Muslim fellows who come in and are asking big questions with us. And, and so we're patient and we're helpful, and we're, we're trying to seek the scriptures together to find out, you know, what can we learn from this book to lead our lives. So now, when you talk about a sort of mission or vision not to create Lutherans, but to be Lutheran, as you all situate yourselves in Milwaukee or within your sort of faith tradition uh, writ large, is that some convincing that you had to do um, for, for people are our folks more broadly in the community accepting of that mission? Do they do they wish it was more proselytizing? Are you okay with that? How, how, how do you navigate those conversations? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question. 
I guess we'll find out, huh? <laughs> uh, at this point, at this point, we're we're only getting high fives from all communities. Our own Lutheran Church is saying, "Kevin, thank you for heeding the call." We have families who want more of what we're offering, so it's a broken business model. You know, every young man I go recruit from an eighth grade classroom, I, I'm now in debt five thousand more dollars based on the voucher. So, you know, I think we're getting high fives from the folks who are in our own congregations, our own Lutheran world, saying that's Kevin. We're getting high fives from this neighborhood because I think this this neighborhood, by and large, is ready to see a new demographic commingle with this community. You know, we sit in Wauwatosa, which is right on the the borderline of one of the strongest racial kind of dot plot segregation moments you, you ever see on a map. In fact, it's it's like it's incredibly depressing to see how fast you, you cross one street sign and you're into Milwaukee and, and you, you, it's a whole new culture of people. And so seems like our school, we're, we're kind of like an airplane looking for a landing pad somewhere. We were looking for buildings all over, mostly in Milwaukee, which is where the families were coming from. And I'm driving home where I live in Wauwatosa, right, you know, maybe 10 blocks into Wauwatosa. And here is this empty school for six years in a great community, a great congregation, which is Catholic. And essentially said, hey, we're looking for a place to have an all-boys school. The uh, landlord said, well, my boys all went to Marquette. I think all boys could do great things. Uh, it's a great time for a young man to, to spend investing in who they are and identity. And, and uh, he said, I think you should get, have a shot at it. And we went to the community and said, here's what we're up for. And, you know, there's people who, who like the school choice thing and who don't like it. But by large, the elders of the community had to vote us in to have us uh, become a school because after two years of vacancy, this school, because of the zoning, had lost its occupancy and its conditional use permit as a school. So the elders of the community, the mayor included, voted us in to say, yes, we like this idea of kingdom prep. I think they were fully knowledgeable that this is going to be a demographic that would help mix, in fact, who the current residents are in this city. The, the resident ownership here looks like 95% white, and our school is about 96% African-American, 2% Hispanic, Latino. So now you mentioned that every time you recruit a young man, you go 5000 dollars in debt based on the voucher what do you what do you mean by that what's going on there yeah i mean the cost per, per pupil when we're up and running for four years will be about twelve thousand dollars per child in your first year it's way higher than that due to just uh, scalability and how that works sure. um economies of scale so but by the time four years comes around i would expect we'll be spending about twelve thousand per child um maybe more and the voucher gives you about $8,000. Uh, and so essentially, uh, I guess uh, overestimated, we're at about 19000 this year. Uh, next year will be about 15000 And the third year will be at about, I would say, thirteen, And we'll come down to probably eleven and a half, twelve. And so especially in these first opening years, you know, it's, it's not a popular move to make. The schools were seeing many years of voucher families applying for these Lutheran schools. And Milwaukee has some, similar to other cities, just some horrendous uh, tales, you know, tales of, of sure. parents not able to find good schools. And so it seemed like this was more of a, a calling to the church to say, are you going to do the next thing, which is to open another school? Or is that just one of those things you did when you used to have constituents who put money in the offering plate who uh, essentially paid for those schools to be built? We took a big leap of faith, and the foundations uh, around us supported us. Some of the major foundations in this community are excited about what we're doing. Like I said, our own congregations are high-fiving us, and I think this own community here is saying this is great. 
some of the neighborhood schools, the public schools are even welcoming us in to do conversations with their own faculty, with their students, just to talk about diversity in the city. Yeah, so I suppose that broken business model is what every, I think, high-quality school has to wrestle with in the voucher world that we live in. But due to people like the Drexel Fund, Bradley Foundation, uh, Siebert Lutheran Foundation, even some of these agnostic foundations like the We Energies, you know, different groups who are saying we, we appreciate what you're doing, Kevin, and uh, they're chipping in. So now, how could policy be changed? I mean, it seems like one clear solution would be for the voucher to be worth uh, more money, but are there other policy changes that could be made that would make your life easier? Oh, that's a good question. You know, there are people who are really well-educated on this topic that are fighting all those good fights, and they probably have their opinions. As I see it currently, what the Drexel Fund is doing is probably the the largest solution, which is that they'll take passionate school leaders and founders and developers, and they'll essentially do some of the heavy lifting financially and even vet some of the policies and some of the, you know, the ideas that some of us new entrepreneurial school leaders have. And they'll connect you to people who can actually help you make it a financially viable thing. So I think that's helpful as far as politically and different policies. I'm shocked already at how willing state is uh, in Wisconsin that we're willing to actually help fund parents to make the choice for where they want to send their kids. So I, I'm on the other side where I'm just feeling privileged and blessed that we get to do this work. I mean, and that's coming from a man who... I think this is the the number one thing that I and my friends could be doing with our lives is we're walking alongside these guys. And we even, you know, I grew up in a Lutheran school system where we did not have this kind of money to play to us. It was absolutely more meager, more more humbling. Uh, my parents are both, you know, missionary Lutheran-type parents, and I saw the salaries they had, and I saw the cars we drove, saw the boxes that showed up in the back step for us, six kids to get dressed, you know. And our teachers were working with much less. Sure. And so I, I actually find it to be, I'm just pretty impressed already with what, what our state is up to. And, you know, I always make a joke that with as many nice people around who are helping support this financially, if we can't figure this out, you know, I think we, we don't deserve to be even open. And I think that's <laughs> the beauty of school, school choice is that parents, you know, at any point in time, they can pull their kids out. And in economics, the, the best product for the best price is what wins in market. And uh, and I love that. I feel like it empowers our students, it empowers our parents, forces me to have to look in the mirror and say, do I really have what it takes to produce a school for a young man that could leave as soon as he wants and bring his $8,400 elsewhere? So I, I, I quite appreciate the program as it stands. Um, but I'm sure, you know, adding more dollars to that voucher wouldn't hurt. <laughs> wouldn't hurt anybody, <laughs> sure. No, not at all. But, but you know what it does? I have to, we have to be outstanding or these funders won't come our way. And so I'm actually a little bit, the thing that keeps me up at night worrying, you know, are we going to have the money for it, is also the thing that I think is helping create dynamic schools that forces us to have to go and, and search high and low for great talent, work really hard with young men and not let them get upset with us when they leave at night and say, hey, come on, man, we're going to get this figured out. Because frankly, we need each other. It's a, is that called a some kind of mutualism or relationship? Yeah, something maybe? like that. Sure. That's great. Yeah. So, so how do you measure success? How do you know that what y'all are doing is working? Yeah, that's a great question. We developed a mission statement, which is kind of funny. It's not, there's nothing academic in this per se. It's building a brotherhood in Christ for lives of purpose. So we exist 
to do those three things, build a brotherhood in Christ for lives of purpose. And so the vision where we're trying to land, that everyone wants to repeat, you know, it's the thing you put up on your walls and say, when we land, this is where we want to land. Our vision statement is to be a place where young people develop the God-given talents to do four things, to lead in their homes, to serve in the church, to engage in meaningful work, and to transform community. And every one of these things I've said is wrought with complexities and historically has been mismanaged by our church, and we're, we welcome that. So, for example, uh, we're a place where young men can lead in their homes. Well, wait a minute, you know, was it man for a young man to lead in his home? If we go to the scripture, we talk about this often. It says, young men, you know, lead your homes the way that Christ led the church, and uh, he gave his life for the church. Sure. And so we talk daily about what does it mean to be a leader in your home? It means to respect your wife above all things, to do the hard thing. Um, and in our, in our families, homes that we serve currently, uh, we're just blessed to have some great men um, come and speak to our gentlemen. Just give first case account of what it looks like. How, sometimes how marriage is really hard. Uh, sometimes when it's, it's not the traditional marriage, what does it look like? How do you how do you stay a good father? So how do we know if we're succeeding? We start watching men make manly decisions. And that's, again, wrought with all kinds of complexities in that language I'm using. But here we embrace it. We, we try to reintroduce some of the most important parts of brotherhood the boys lead the, their own school. And it's something we saw from St. Benedict's, where each young man here is in charge of, essentially, his own pack. And so there's eight packs. The boys decided on their own mascot. They're wolves. The wolf pack, they have eight packs. And within the packs, they have to hold each other accountable. Um, they need to report each day on attendance. They look after each other. Uh, they have a brotherhood council room where when discipline pops up, a young man struggling, oftentimes they'll deal with it with each other. Um, and the Brotherhood Council, the young men uh, who are part of the PAC Council, they will actually come up with some of the discipline and consequences that need to be addressed. You know, it gets authorized by a dean of students here, but by and large, I'll try to discipline a student for acting maybe not right. He'll be running through the halls. I'll say, young man, come here. And typically, I can't get to him because three other guys will grab him first. And say, Cesarean, we got this. And I'll uh, say, come on, like, I really want to have some words with this guy. And, uh, and I won't even get the chance because the guys are pulling each other in and they're, they're truly becoming these brothers that care for each other. We use the four A's. We talk about acceptance, that I have to accept my brother 100%, full of all of his mess and all of his goodness. We then affirm our brother and speak into his life and talk about the things he's good at and encourage him. We then hold these, our brother accountable to what it is that he is hoping to grow into as a young man. And then we use authority once in a while. Uh, we pull each other over and say, hey, that's not going to work. You know, we don't do that. Without those first three A's, acceptance of a brother, affirming a brother, and then upholding a brother accountable, it's hard to hold your brother in authority, you know, and the problem that he has. And so we've noticed that this deep acceptance of brotherhood and talking about it often and, and affirming each other it's creating quite a culture where guys are willing to pull each other over. So how do we know we're succeeding academically? We've got some pretty high rigor over here with, you know, great teachers, phenomenal, actually, teachers who are you walk into classrooms. It's typical engagement strategies. How many of our young men are mastering an exit ticket when they leave class? Um, how are our young men doing in their pre-ACT scores? The typical academic rigor areas where I, I think I've seen a lot of this in schools that have worked in the past, what I'm noticing different here is all boys. Just watching them hold each other accountable. It's really important. So one last question 
Um, I like to ask this of all of the, the leaders that I interview. And you can sort of take it, I'll give you sort of one of two options here. So one is just a lesson that you've learned uh, throughout your time in this work. The other way to phrase it is if you could go back and give advice to yourself before you got involved in all of this, what advice would you give yourself? So feel free to take it either way, either a piece of advice that you would give yourself or a lesson that you've learned. Usually the two are connected to one another, but um, take it either way. Sure. Yeah, I guess the lesson that I have learned at this point would be to allow the young men to indeed make big mistakes. So ninth graders only at this point, about 50 of them, we continually teach and preach leadership, leadership, be a leader. But until you actually give them the space to show some independence and in that independence make some critical mistakes, it's very hard for them to actually recognize the value of why the learning is going to be important. So one of the examples of that is we have a class called Nehemiah Hour. In a Nehemiah Hour, we kind of hold as a pillar this guy named Nehemiah who prays essentially, you know, Lord, give me uh, victory over this problem. I want to go solve. I want to go rebuild Jerusalem's walls. And takes a risk and leaves his place of comfort to go do the hard thing. So we give the kids 45 to 50 minutes every day to just go do the hard thing. As a young man, what is it God's putting on your heart? What problem do you want to solve? And it's kind of like the project-based learning where it's kind of redeemed biblically for us to say, what's God putting on your heart? What has he uniquely designed you and created you to do to be in that space? And what's your plan? Where's your counsel and feedback you're going to get to go solve that problem? And then actually give them, I mean, truly give them a space to go do whatever they want for 50 minutes convinced by these guardrails that they've shown us it's a problem. They do have a plan. And some of these things are just hilarious, what they're working on. <laughs> One guy's got a, a motorcycle in the garage that he's ripped apart all the way, and it happens to be mine. Uh, <laughs> and he says he's going he to fix it. And he's on, like, week eight, and uh, he's ripped apart the carburetor. He's, he's mishandled many of my tools. And yet, it's the same thing I did in my garage with my dad. And, and sure enough, he calls an expert, uh, a motorcycle race racer named Andy. Andy from the east town of Milwaukee shows up, teaches them how to tweak two parts of the engine. And this young man is driving this thing in the in, in the parking lot now. Another guy is working with the Milwaukee Bucks to try and build a parking lot basketball court to build racial reconciliation so that the neighborhood will want to come onto our court and play with our boys because they started noticing there just aren't diverse outdoor basketball courts in, in, in Wauwatosa. The other guy is working on building a graphic design company that moves every other Nehemiah project further, faster. Yeah, so if you give the kids 45 minutes to an hour just to start working on things that truly burden their heart, that they know need they, they need them to be in the space. But the lesson I learned is to, to truly let them make the mistakes. We started safeguarding a lot. And we wouldn't let boys do some of the messy work. And and they were kind of calling our bluff. They're like, you tell us to do these things, but you're not actually giving us real paint. You know, you're not giving us real motorcycles kind of thing. And sure enough, when we let go of it and just let the boys start making mistakes and not, not worried about the funders, not worried about the janitors and what they're all going to say, by and large, we're seeing the boys just truly move into areas that they doesn't mean they're going to be a motorcycle engine guy. It just means he's going to start working on stuff that intrigues him now. He's going to start learning lessons and fail a lot. So it's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Well, Kevin Festerling, thank you so much for joining us on the Cool Schools podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
I really enjoyed that conversation. I certainly hope that all of you did. It was really hard. I mean, I, I don't know if you had the same experience that I did, but but Kevin's uh, optimism and his um, his kind of zeal were were infectious. You know, at, at the end, I was like, man, do you, do you need some help? I, I used to be a high school English teacher. I, I could teach ninth and 10th graders. I want to be part of what what you're doing. So I, I will be very interested to see. I obviously wish him nothing but the best. They've got, you know, lots of high hurdles ahead of them, but they seem well able to, to deal with that. It'll be really interesting to try and follow up on them in a couple of years and see if they were really able to put this vision into practice. I'm also really interested to check out, for those of you who haven't checked out St. Benedict's in, in New Jersey and the whole story that was related to that. So it gave me gave me stuff to follow up on. Um, perhaps it did the same for you. As always, if you like more outstanding Ed Choice podcast content, so not just the Cool Schools podcast, but the, the monthly wrap-ups that our state teams do to keep up with all the comings and goings that are happening in state houses all across this country, the profiles of researchers or new interesting research that comes out that some of my compatriots on the research team do, and lots of other interesting, whether you want the legal happenings with the one and only Leslie Heiner. There's all sorts of great podcast content. I could go on and on and on. Um, But instead of that, I'm just going to say, subscribe to this podcast. You can do it on SoundCloud. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on whatever Stitcher is. Um, But all of those are are potential ways to get this wonderful podcast um, right to your pocket. You can also follow us on social media at EdChoice on Twitter, and you can look for just EdChoice on Facebook. We try and put a lot of content up on that as well. Um, But we also have a great email list. Uh, If you don't want to be bombarded with stuff that you're not interested in, you can kind of customize your preferences. I'm perfectly, you know, I'm I'm particularly partial if you're interested in research or thought leadership, which is kind of my bailiwick. Um, You can get all of the, the interesting and provocative things that I write sent to you. If you just like to screen out the things that I write and get what all of my uh, the folks that everybody else who works here does, I don't blame you. You can probably do that as well if you're interested. But head to www.edgechoice.org to sign up for that. And I always am on the lookout, always, 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 for more cool schools to profile. So if you know of a cool school, please Send me an email, give me a call, pass a note in class to me. I will find some way to reach out to that school and learn more about it. So thanks so much for joining us, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon, soon and very soon, about another cool school. (laughs) 